Co-Selling Hero, hosted by real estate veteran Tom Didion. Each week, we break down today's ultra-hot home seller's market and give you the tips, tricks, and guidance to navigate the selling process and get the most out of selling your home. Proudly presented by the Tom Didion team. Let's jump in. Greetings and moyen, everyone. Thanks for coming back to the Home Selling Hero podcast. I am your host, Tom Didier, and my guest today is Georgia Didier. She is a 22-year-old film student at University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, and the point of today's podcast is to kind of find out how much, if anything, you'd know about real estate, and I'm more curious to get if we can use you as kind of a sampling of the typical 22-year-old college student, I'm curious to know what what they know, what they want to know, and more importantly, what their plans are as it relates to real estate. So, Georgia, why don't you go ahead and take 30 seconds to introduce yourself to the listeners. Hello. Yeah, for the amount of family that I have in the real estate business, I really don't know too much because I rely on mm-hmm. you guys for it. So, yeah, but I'd like to expand my knowledge on the subject. The questions you have for me, I might not know too much, but I'm I'm willing to learn. My first question for you, Georgia, is do you plan do you plan to, do you have any plans to buy real estate and if so, when and why? As of now, no, but in the far future, I hope so. I hope to, yes. Okay, so you hope to own real estate. Yes. And why, what would be your reason, like why do you hope to own real estate in the future? To have a secure place to come back to, a home. I think that with the job I'd have for my future career, I'd be hopping from place to place, but I'd mm-hmm. like to own a home in the future, maybe here in Port, to just have a place to come back to. In your future, based on the job that you hope you'll have, you might be bouncing around. So expand on that. What what do you what are your expectations for bouncing around? City to city, like I don't think I'd have be in one place for a long period of time. So just having a home for myself um, with travel. You're saying you have an expectation, or you hope that your future job will have you traveling from city to city? Will entail a lot of a lot of travel, yes. Having a job that sends me city to city. Okay, so you're not necessarily talking about moving every year or two years and no. wanting to live in multiple cities. And I would safe to say that, you know, as a almost junior, I think you've got about a year left in college, but is it I mean, is it safe to assume that your expectation of yourself is that after you graduate from college, you will get a job, obviously, in the field? So whatever city you might be based in, you do plan to or you'd like to own a home as opposed to rent. You've been renting. You've been how many places have you? So let our listeners know how many places you've lived in over the last. I think the reason that I want to own a home one day is because all the hoops that I and you know that I and you and my roommate and stuff have jumped through with all the renting I think I've this is the third place that I've been renting and it's just a lot I mean it's it's nice you know to have there's ever a trouble with you know, a heater or you laundry room like you, some stuff you don't have to deal with yourself like you have other people to do that for you but it's just a lot a lot of outside sources that sometimes you don't you just want to have something to yourself mm-hmm. Okay, so you're already, it's good to hear you say that because it sounds like you already recognize that one of the advantages of renting is if shit breaks, not your problem. 
Yeah. So. Yeah, it's like with like the portal that I have with the property that I'm at right now, like a bunch of their properties, it's so easy. Like the last place that I was at, it was a super difficult process. They wouldn't get back to me within like one to two weeks. This new place I'm at, it's awesome. I get an email or notification back within like 30 minutes to an hour saying somebody will be there within this many days or even this many hours. So I noticed the difference between um, management and property owners that I'm at. But yeah, it can be really di- like really nice or really yeah. shitty. Um, yeah, like I said before, the amount of hoops you have to jump through sometimes just to get something fixed. And yeah, sometimes you can get really awesome neighbors. Sometimes you can get really creepy neighbors. <laughs> you can't really kind of just a roll of the dice with that one. I don't know if you know this, like the realtor's point of view, the reason that realtors believe that home ownership is so important, I mean, there's probably a hundred reasons, but the two most important ones, in my opinion, after doing this forever, is the number one is the financial aspects. Number one is realtors believe that owning a home is the foundation for building financial success. It's a, it's a, uh, what do we call it? We call it a, a wealth building asset. So when people retire or they die, Many times, their biggest financial asset is their house. So like in a real typical American story scenario, you know, people get a house, they get married, they have a family, they have jobs, they retire, and when they're done, their house is paid off. And now hopefully over the course of 30 years, this house is worth, let's say, two, three, four, in some cases, 10 times. Actually, in many cases, it's worth 10 times what they paid for it. So it's this really big asset. You know, some people could have paid let's just say $40,000 for their home in the year 1978. That $40,000 home is probably now worth about, I'm just going to say $300,000. That's just kind of a generality. So the thing has really gone up in value. So that's number one is that realtors believe it is very important to own your own home because it will help you create wealth over time. Number two is the fact that home ownership kind of helps build communities and it helps people put down roots and it's also the foundation for creating friendships and families and you know if you have these houses and you get to know your neighbors it really helps people came i would say it helps people stay put as opposed to a very transient society where people are constant like you you move every 12 months you're kind of the stereotypical college kid and understandably you're not you know making money right now but um they believe that when people are constantly moving around, it's very hard to form really close-knit communities. Does that surprise you, or do you think maybe you actually knew that? I mean, I, I wouldn't say either of them surprised me. I know definitely with the it builds wealth part, I think the one thing that kind of sparked in my mind was the just, like, credit mm-hmm. score. Like, um, one of my best friends is a homeowner, and I know that when, I mean, recently we just compared credit scores, and his was exponentially higher than mine and he just explained to me that he's like well you have to remember I'm a home homeowner and I've had credit cards longer than you and I never miss a mortgage yep. payment yeah if you have credit cards and mortgages and car payments and you have never missed a payment on any of those you will build a very very I mean relatively perfect credit score um, it's based on your income yeah. your debt all sorts of things but yeah, that's super important and probably is super important for kids your age to realize that when you're your age and you're screwing around in college and, you know, I don't know if kids your age, I hope they're paying off their credit cards, but that's a long road to recovery. If you spend like the four years, the typical four years in college kind of screwing off financially and always being behind, that's going to take a long time to repair that. So it's probably very important 
for you to share with your fellow college kids that it's super important to, you know, keep your bills paid, that sort of thing. I told you to have a few questions for me. I'm curious to know which, which ones you might have. One of these I hear all the time, especially when you're talking either on the phone or just, I feel like to people who will come up to you maybe in public or just whatever, asking about your job, um, what does it mean when somebody says either the market is really good or really bad right now? I never understand what that means. Yeah, when they ask that, that just means, how, you know, yeah, how's the market? Basically, there's usually either a buyer's market or a seller's market. Right now, it is a complete and total seller's market. That means that if you're a seller of real estate, you're in good, you're in good shoes. I mean, it's a good time to sell. So if you have a house and you're going to sell it, you're going to get a good price, meaning that there's lots of buyers available for your house in this market. Most likely, there's going to be multiple offers for your house. So it's a great position to be in. Like, wow, I listed my ranch, and we had 10 showings this week, and we already have five offers. That's a seller's market. The other example I'll give you of, uh, I don't know how old you were in 2010. How old were you in 2010? You were born? Nine, nine, probably. That was a tough market. That was what's called the buyer's market which means when a seller put their house in the market, it might take six months or nine months. Um, you might not get many showings. You might not get your asking price. In that year, prices were tending to go down a little bit, so home prices weren't actually going up. They were going down, which means buyers have lots of opportunities. Mm. And a buyer might say, okay, I can pick in these three ranches. They're all in the running, but I'm going to you know, make some offers, and you're probably going to offer below what they want. And ask the seller to make some concessions. So those are the two markets, either a buyer's market or a seller's market. Um, we do have what's called a dual market. That has to do with different price points. Like right now, we are actually somewhat in a dual market where all of the homes under 500000 are very much in a seller's market. And it could be argued that the homes over a million dollars are a little bit more of a buyer's market just because of the, the market we're in right now. So that is, the, that is my answer to how's the market. Have a house to sell, but not sure who to trust when it comes to getting the best deal and leveraging the current market? Trust the experts at the Tom Didier team. With over a quarter century of selling Milwaukee, Tom and his team of real estate experts are here to ensure that you get every penny you deserve out of selling your home. No matter where you live in the dairy state, Put one of Wisconsin's top real estate teams to work for you in selling your home and making the most of your real estate investment. Looking to buy a house instead? Tom and his team have you covered here as well, helping you craft and perfect the offer on your dream home. Visit SellingMilwaukee.com to find out how much your home could be worth and connect with the team to make your next real estate transaction a dream. Now, back to the show. So it's pretty, so when it's a buyer's market, they'll get a home for cheaper yep. than what they'd want and what to sell it. They'd get it for over like yep. asking. Yep, exactly right. In, okay, in the buyer's okay. market, the buyers have lots of choices. See, this, the buyers right now, they don't have any choices. If a home hits the market, they're going to be competing with lots of other buyers because there's more buyers than there are sellers. That's basically how the market works. Mm. Um, and it's always, okay. I mean... It's always cyclical. It's always, and sometimes you have an, an even market where it's, you know, just a, a nice, um, you have just as many buyers and sellers, and that's a, a normal market if there is such a thing. All, All right. right. What else you got for me? Does your commission rate change based on the area that you're mm. selling in? Interesting question. So does my commission rate, so the easy answer is no, but I should preface that by saying 
all commissions are negotiable over the entire country. That's like a United mm. States thing. I don't know about other countries, but in the United oh, States, okay. commissions are negotiable. They can't be fixed or set. Um, just because they are negotiable doesn't need doesn't mean that certain brokers will negotiate. So some brokers say, here's my commission. It's X, and I don't move it. Um, but, yeah, brokers, it, it doesn't change by area. Um, I would say it changes by broker and by price. Actually, there's a ton of factors. It depends on if it's a buyer's market or a seller's market. It depends on the inventory. Mm -hmm. It depends specifically on the property. Um, so it's a hard question to answer, but my answer would be yes, commissions are and um, always have been negotiable. Antitrust laws basically say that you know in America you can't just come up with a product or a service and then you know take control of the market and then charge people whatever you want. So. Yeah, it's basically done to protect the consumer and make sure that open markets prevail. This next one I got, is it like taboo within the real estate market to intervene with the selling process with like family and friends? Is that taboo to kind of intervene and be like, oh, I know this person really wants and your home checks all the boxes? I, and most realtors, many times, most of the time, many times uh, represent direct family members. So I have represented mm -hmm. my aunts, my uncles, my grandparents, um, my nieces, my mm -hmm. nephews, my cousins. I've represented lots and lots and I hopefully have done it well. And there's no, there's nothing taboo about presenting a family member. Here's what you have to know though, is that when you are representing a family member, I as the realtor need to disclose that to the other party. So if I'm bringing, if you oh, want to okay. buy a house, put it this way, if you see a ranch, you want to buy it two years from now and I'm representing you, I have to put in the offer, I have to disclose Listing a, or realtor is related to the buyer, just so the seller knows, like, oh, okay. hey, you know, there's a direct relationship here, their family. Uh, yeah. So, yes. Um, and the second part of that is that um, as far as, like, mixing, you know, family and business, sometimes it makes sense not to represent family. And that's obviously every family is different and have different variables. But um, I've stepped away from representing not even family, but people that are I'm really close to where I thought I shouldn't, mm -hmm. I don't want to get involved. And sometimes it's the best to choose a existing friendship over a business deal. Like I'm not willing to okay. lose a friendship over a business deal. Sometimes you will see listings come up where you'll know that that person has multiple realtors in the family and they've chosen to go mm -hmm. a different route, which is sometimes the better way to go. It's, many times it's the right call to not get involved. So here's my next question for you, and this is kind of a vague question, but I would say that my generation's concern with your generation, you tend to be transient, meaning that a lot of the young kids that are getting going into the workforce tend to jump from job to job to job. In the old days, whatever that means, 30 or 40 years ago, it was typical for a person to come out of college, get a job, put roots down, and stay there and retire there. Now it seems that your generation and the generation before you, the millennials, tend to like work somewhere for three to five years and then they move on to the next job and they, they buy in. I guess it's good for, I'm not complaining because as realtors, these are the people that live in a house for two or three years and then sell it and move somewhere else. So it does keep the market going. Mm -hmm. But my question to you is do you think that is true of your generation that? you tend to want to move around and experience different jobs in different places? I'd say it's 
true and false. I guess it's more about the people that I know personally. I know a lot of people more recently who have recently graduated college and they have found jobs right out of college. And I know people who decided not to go to college and they've been working right out of high school and they work a lot and they work really, really hard at their Mm -hmm. jobs. And I know there's been some concern about certain, I mean, universities not preparing um, like seniors well enough for the workforce directly at like after graduation um, in terms of finding a Mm -hmm. career. And I guess that's one of my fears for when I get closer to graduation. I want to make sure that I'm prepared right after graduation to have something not lined up for me, just like waiting there for me. I obviously want to work really hard to get to that spot. Um, But yeah, I think another, not in terms of laziness, but my generation, I think, has one of those mindsets, you know, mm. you only live once mindsets um, where they want to experience everything they possibly can before they get into that workforce mindset. But that can be difficult because obviously getting a lot of those experiences costs money. <laughs> so that obviously is an issue. So I'd say, it's, you know, 50-50, it obviously depends on the person. But I think social media... Um, plays a huge role in that too where we're perceived that way where whereas your generation could have been perceived that way but maybe Mm. you may Mm. like weren't seen that way because you guys didn't have that platform so okay so you're saying i mean it's fair to say that my generation thinks your generation is freaking lazy i think it's fair to say that we are perceived that way yes and then so your argument is that it's very possible our generation could have been perceived that way also if we had social media. Not perceived, you didn't have the chance to be perceived that way. Right, because we didn't have social media. Yeah. Yeah, but you're saying saying if we did have social media, we might have been perceived that way from the previous generation. It could have been very possible, yes. Yeah, okay, well. But we will never know. Yeah, yeah, I guess we just (laughs) have to get to work and figure it out. Yeah. All right, you got any more questions for me? I actually have one more, and I know that like when I was, I think it was like, uh, I don't know exactly when, but beginning of high school, end of high school, you were starting um, Renter's Warehouse. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to know like the pros and cons of renting out your home versus selling your home. Real simple to understand example. Yeah. Somebody bought a house for $250,000 in 2008. Mm-hmm. And they needed to move in 2012, four years later. When they bought that house, they put 5% down, and four years later, they still owe 200 and let's just say $40,000 on that house. The problem is that house is now worth $200,000. So you got this house you need to sell. Mm-hmm. Let's just say they're moving to Arizona, and the house is worth $200,000, and we know that because all the branches on that block are selling for two hundred grand. Yeah. but you still owe the bank 240000 So now what do you do? That's actually a question to you. What do you do? You're, a, you're you've got this great film job, and you got to move out of Wisconsin to Arizona because you got this great job offer. But now you got to sell your house. It's worth two hundred forty thousand. I'm sorry. It's you owe two hundred forty grand, and it's worth two hundred. What are you going to do? Well, you it's worth less than you owe. So after you sell it, you're still going to owe more. You're going to rent it out? 
Yeah, so that's the point I was going to make is that you do have some options. Number one, a lot of people let it go to foreclosure, which was a terrible situation. People just left and like, screw this, let the bank take the loss. And their credit got killed and it went to foreclosure and the banks and the banks and the banks in America owned Mm -hmm. tons and tons of homes um, after the Great Recession because people walked away. Some people that had financial wherewithal said, well, I'm going to bring the extra 40 grand to closing because I still owe it. It's still a liability. You know, it's still my responsibility. Um, but a lot of people discovered that, hey, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not going to bring $40,000 to closing because that's my savings. But if I can rent the house, in a perfect situation, the house rents for whatever the mortgage is. So your mortgage payment is 1500 bucks a month. Let's rent it for $1,500. And, you know, nothing nothing happens. Uh, in a great situation, that house rents for 1700 and you're mm-hmm. actually making $200 a month, which is bonus. But the worst case scenario is that maybe it only rents for $1,200 a month. And now it's only costing you $200 a month to hold this house. And now you can be on your way and get to Arizona. So that's when the whole what we call rent estate revolution was born. And we realized why, you know, don't give away your life savings, just ride it out. And so now here we here we are much later. We're in 2022. And the people that did that are sitting in a very good position. Very, very good position. Oh, so that started a lot after the recession. Yeah, basically, in my opinion, oh, I would say it I never knew started that. in 2010. But the people that did ride it out and rented their houses, those think about it, those houses are now paid down, meaning that they've paid mm-hmm. the mortgage every month because they had rent coming in. And yeah. now the market since, uh, I'm just going to say 2017, you know, the prices have been going up. And so now that thing's worth, so now the example I was giving you, that $250,000 house, Remember, it was only worth two hundred. Well, now it's worth three hundred and twenty. It's worth okay. a lot more, and um, now that person's in a great position. So that was the reason we started Renters Warehouse is that we recognize there's going to be a huge need for people to rent their homes, and we were able to come to them and say, "Hey, don't go to foreclosure. Don't give up your life savings. Turn it over to us. We'll manage the property." And you know, like I said, the people that um, wrote it out are sitting in a great position. A lot of those people. What's really cool about the rent estate revolution is that a lot of those people realize, like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like, there's a huge market to rent single-family homes. So we've got a few people that came to us. We rented their one house. They they now own between five and ten single-family rentals. Oh, wow. Um, a lot of them in Milwaukee, but they've realized this is a great investment. So, yeah, that's a good question. That's kind of why we um, started that uh and do those people ever stop once the value in the home goes up? Do they ever stop renting it out and then eventually sell so it? So that is the big giant elephant in the room is that those values have gone up so high that a lot of our clients are selling their houses, and which is great. They're hiring us to sell their houses, but they're cashing out. And they're saying, holy yeah, cow, this place is worth three hundred and twenty grand now. And they're getting out of it and they're taking their equity and they're reinvesting it elsewhere. So Got yes, it. most of those people. But real estate is... It always has been a long term. Uh, it's a long game. Like you, I mean, the flippers, yeah. the flippers. You know what flippers are? Like that's what Owen and I do. That's just yeah. buying and selling as fast as you can. Um, but to build really good long term wealth, you need to hold real estate long term. In retrospect, it turns out you actually. I would say you. It turns out you know more than you thought you did. You you are actually subliminally paying attention and and know more about real estate than you think you do. I think yeah. I hear a lot of terms thrown not thrown at me but around me most of the time I don't think I know what's going on so I do want to know what's going on Mm -hmm. now I know what a buyer's and seller's market is well that was good George I appreciate you uh coming on that was fun this is your first podcast yeah do you listen to podcasts do college kids listen to? I do 
it's not like a like an audio book because it's more like this casual conversation and you don't have to be paying so much attention but you're paying enough attention that you're getting something from it all right george well um thanks for you enjoyed your first podcast maybe we'll do it again and with that we will sign off everybody thanks for listening always use a local lender thanks for listening to home selling hero For more, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and connect with Tom across LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have a question about selling your home or buying your next one, reach out to Tom at tom at tomdidier.com or call or text him directly at 414-881-3290. Home Selling Hero is a production of Tom Didier Real Estate in partnership with Westport Studios. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and any information presented during the course of discussion is presented as reliable under the laws of the state of Wisconsin. Be sure to consult a local agent in order for any nuances where you may live.